We'll now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is on page 523. And this follows what had come before in, in the previous Lord's Days concerning the fact that we need a mediator to be able to escape from uh, the punishment that we deserve. And then uh, there's an exposition of the nature of our mediator, Jesus Christ, that he is a true righteous man, also a true God, and the fact that he is the one who is able to save us from our sins. And so... The next question follows about who, is, who, is, uh, who qualifies to receive the benefits of this mediator. So, question and answer 20. Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. What are these articles? And there follows the Apostles' Creed, which we have just confessed together. So far the reading from the Heidelberg Catechism. After the sermon, we will respond with praise to God with hymn 77, hymn 77 after the sermon. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, Lord's Day 7 is one of those landmark Lord's Days that we have in our catechism. I think it's very familiar to a lot of us. It's one of those Lord's Days, and question and answer 21 especially, is one of those pieces of the confession that should just flow right out of our mouths because we know it so well. You know, it teaches us the way that we're able to receive all of these wonderful benefits of Christ's sacrifice that God promises to us. We can see through this that there's nothing that we can do in order to earn any of these benefits. These are gifts of pure grace. They're given, us, they're given, to, they're given to us for free by our Father. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, all of these things are free. And so the question is, well, how can we receive them? They're received with the hand of faith. They're received simply by believing it wholeheartedly. 
And it's not put more simply anywhere, I don't think, than what we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Here in this text, Paul and Silas are in prison, and uh, an earthquake happens, and all of the the jails are, are sprung open, and everybody's chains fall off, and the jailer assumes that everybody has escaped and left, and he knows that he's going to be held to account for this. He's going he's to kill himself, but uh, Paul and Silas stop him. They assure him that he's not in any danger. And so this jailer knows that Paul and Silas are somehow responsible for all of this, and so he goes to them and he says, men, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? Tell me, and, and I'll just do it. And the reply Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's it. And this question about what must I do, it comes into the picture for us this morning on the heels of Lord's Day 6. In the previous Lord's Days, we would have been led on this path that, that caused us to to dig very deep into the realities of of our standing before God as we are by nature. We were faced with the realities of God's perfect and unwavering justice. And we discovered that if justice is served as it ought to be, and it will be, That even though we're sinful, even though we deserve an awful punishment, we see that God has provided a way for us to escape that punishment. He provided a way that upholds His justice uncompromisingly, but it's a way that also shows God's love and His mercy and His wisdom. In Lord's Day 5 and 6, we see that He gave us a mediator who pays our debt, a mediator who is true God and who is true man, This is Jesus Christ. And so we're very relieved, very happy about this news. Jesus can save sinners. And so the next question, our Lord's Day, Lord's Day 7, question and answer 20, is this for everyone? Is everyone saved? Does Jesus pay everybody's debt? Is Jesus everyone's mediator? And we see the answer there is no. That's not how it is. Not everyone is automatically saved by Christ's work. Not everyone automatically has their debt paid for. We see there's one condition. There's one condition that must be met in order for anyone to be able to receive the benefits of Christ's work. And that one condition is very simple. You must be united to Christ. There's not anything that you have to perform. There's not anything that you have to do to prove your worth. You just have to be united to Christ, grafted into Christ, as question and answer 20 puts it. Grafting is a term that comes to us from the world of horticulture. Gardening, tending plants. 
So with grafting, you're, you're able to take uh, a, a cutting or, or a, a branch from one tree, and you can make a notch, an opening in, a, in another tree. So there's the donor tree, and then there's the recipient tree. And you can take that cutting and, and sort of plug it in to the new tree, and that cutting will start receiving sap, nutrients, life-giving, life-giving nutrients, and that cutting will survive and it will thrive in its new tree. <clears throat> in Romans 11, Paul describes the way that we are saved, how we can be accounted righteous before God, and he uses this metaphor, this metaphor of grafting, that we are dead, we're completely dead, cut off from a life with God, but then we get removed from that old tree and we get plugged into Jesus Christ and we come to life. He says that Christ is like this, this vine or this olive tree, a cultivated olive tree, and we were wild olives growing on a wild tree, but we were cut off from the wild tree and grafted into this new tree, spliced into the good tree, and we start receiving life, life-giving nourishment from Him. And so that's what's being taught in this picture. Without Christ, we are like dead branches receiving no life at all. We're part of a tree that isn't giving us any sap, any nourishment, but we get cut off from that bad tree and, and we get plugged into Jesus Christ. This is how the catechism differentiates between those who get their debt paid by the mediator, Jesus, and those who don't. You must somehow become grafted into Christ, and He will give you food. He will give you nutrients. He will give you spiritual water to bring you from death to life. And so the question is, how does that grafting occur? How can we be one of those people that gets grafted into the true vine? And the answer is by faith. We are united to Christ only by faith. That's how we receive salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the theme for this afternoon. And so we need to know a little bit about what that means. What does it mean to have faith? What is true faith? Well, we'll see that it is two things. Number one, it's believing what God has revealed. It's, it's knowing and believing what God has taught in His Word in the Bible. We accept that it is true. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that we must believe that what God has taught and what God has promised, the benefits that He promises in Christ, that those things are actually for me. They're not just for other people, but they're also for me. That is true faith. So we'll see those two aspects. We'll see first the content of faith, what exactly we have to believe, and secondly, the assurance of faith, the confidence that salvation, that God's promises are for me. So first, the content of faith. Question answer 21 we see the definition of faith. 
that in the first place, it's the sure knowledge whereby we accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. And that section is followed up in question and answer 22 with the question about what exactly that is. What is the content of God's Word? What has He revealed to us? And it says there, all that has promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. And so, going forward through the catechism, we would see an exposition of the Apostles' Creed, those 12 articles of the faith. You'd spend the next 15 weeks or so learning the depth of these articles. You'd understand the, the nature of our creation, our fall, our redemption, our life in Jesus Christ. And it's not just a matter of it's not just a matter of memorizing the Apostles' Creed, being able to recite it, being able to sing it. It's very beautiful. This is probably one of the first songs that our children learn uh, because we would sing it or recite it you know, every week in, in church. It's beautiful when these words are committed to our memories. It's not just a matter of knowing these articles and calling it good and, 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 and considering ourselves to be in safe territory. No, these, these articles are very rich. We can sort of think of everything that's taught here or everything that's listed in the Apostles' Creed, each one of these articles as sort of a jumping-off point into the depth of what God has revealed. You can move from these articles to just about everything that God has revealed in His Word. We can never exhaust the riches of our confession. Everything in God's Word has to do with our salvation, salvation in Christ. There's nothing that doesn't somehow reveal the glory of God as especially shown and, and shined out in the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He's, from beginning to end, everything exalts the name of the Son of God. Why is that? Well, that's because the salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ, it's in that work that God most brightly and clearly and, and loudly proclaims His glory. It's in His work of saving sinners that we see the nature and the character of God. Through Jesus Christ, God definitively shows what God is like shows himself in such a way that the hearer, the learner, reacts in worship. If you truly come to know God as he has revealed himself in his word, then adoration, praise, worship must follow. So it's not merely about knowing for a fact the things that God has said and committing those things to memory. It's not having a familiarity about the facts of the gospel, a knowledge of what God has promised. You can know all the facts. You can ace an exam on theology or scripture knowledge. You could ace that exam and still not have faith. 
You could even believe that everything God has said in the Bible is, tr- is true. So it's not just about knowing the stuff, and it's not even about believing that it's true. That still wouldn't even qualify to call it a true faith. Look at how carefully question and answer 22 is worded. Page 524. What then must a Christian believe? It doesn't say all that is written in the Bible. It doesn't say everything God said in the Bible. No. It says something very deliberately. All that is promised. All that is promised us in the gospel. All that is promised us in the gospel. The gospel isn't just a statement of fact. The gospel is God's pledge. It's His promise to us. And that's why we have that second part. So number one, the first component of true faith is that sure knowledge, the belief that everything God has revealed is true. But secondly, secondly, it's a firm confidence. Confidence that what? That not only to others... So yes, God saves others, I believe that, not only to others, but also to me. God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. And that's something that also that's echoed later on in the Catechism in Lord's Day 25, we have to see, recognize a little bit of the structure there. Lord's Day 25 comes after the exposition of the Apostles' Creed. So we're at Lord's Day 7 here, and then you have Lord's Day 8 all the way through 22 that teaches everything that is contained in that summary, the Apostles' Creed. And then we have to return to this question. You know, what's the benefit of believing all of this? And how does this faith, how does this actually end up in my heart? How do we receive this faith? And we see in Lord's Day 25, the same thing that we see here in Lord's Day 20, or in, uh, in question and answer 21, this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. In Lord's Day 25, it says, the Holy Spirit works it in my heart by the preaching of the gospel, and He strengthens it with the use of the sacraments. So you have to believe the gospel. You have to believe that the promises of the gospel are not only for others, but also for you, and the way that you are made to believe these things, the way that you're made to believe these things is by the same gospel that you have to believe. See how that works? You have to believe the gospel, but you can only believe the gospel by hearing the gospel. Believing that these promises are really and truly for you. You. Knowing that you personally belong to Christ. This is the assurance of faith. Believing what God has promised you. It's by hearing those promises, not just that information talked about, but by those promises proclaimed, preached to you. It's a lot of P's. Those promises preached, proclaimed. That's how the Spirit of God goes to work in your heart. That's how He causes you to believe those promises. This is one of my favorite 
parts of all of our confessions here, I invite you to turn with me to Canons of Dort, chapter 3-4, article 11. So this is on page 577. And it talks about how God brings about conversion. How, how, can, you, how can you go from, from not believing to a state of believing and, and trusting God and loving God for what He has promised? How does, how does God bring this about? God carries out His good pleasure in the elect and works in them true conversion in the following manner. What's the first thing that's listed here? What's the first thing? He takes care that the gospel is preached to them. That's the first thing. Makes it so that you hear His promises. You hear His voice. You you are confronted with God's track record of His faithfulness. You know the character of God by what is preached. He takes care that the gospel is preached to them, and He goes to work powerfully enlightens their minds by the Holy Spirit so that they might rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. By that efficacious working of the same regenerating Spirit, He also penetrates into the innermost recesses of man. He opens the closed. He softens the hard heart. He circumcises that which was uncircumcised and instills new qualities into the will. He makes the will which was dead alive. That which was bad, good. Which was unwilling, willing. That which was stubborn, obedient. He moves and strengthens it so that like a good tree. Right? We're back to that sort of grafting metaphor. Like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. This only happens when we're grafted into Christ. We can start producing fruit like we're supposed to. And at the bottom of the page there in Article 12, This work that's happening here, the creation of faith in our hearts, how amazing is it? Well, regeneration is not inferior or lesser. It's not inferior in power to creation or to the raising of the dead. So, If you are one of those people who believes these things and who believes that not only to others but also to you, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, salvation. If you believe that, then God has done something in your heart that is just as amazing as speaking the world into being, raising Lazarus from the dead, death from, or life from death. We read from Romans 4 earlier about the way that Abraham believed, what the nature of that belief was. And this is very instructive for us when when we consider the necessity of faith, the fact that we need to have faith somehow. We have to be in a condition where we actually believe sincerely the promises of God. Abraham there is shown to believe even though he considered himself as good as dead. Verses 18 through 21 there. In hope he believed. Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As it had been told him, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith 
Listen to this. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, he did not weaken in faith. Sorry. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen to this. Fully convinced fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, even though by all accounts and human standards, it's impossible. God brought his, Abraham's life to such a state, to such a point, that when the things that God promised were brought about, there was this necessity of, of confessing and realizing that it had to be an act of God. It's impossible at this point to give credit of this to, to anyone or anything except God himself. He provided life, the miracle of life, where there was only deadness. Barrenness of Sarah and Adam's old age. Or, sorry, Abraham's old age. And this is the reality that we are faced with, too, concerning our salvation. If you were convinced, if you were convinced, even in the, in the slightest, that somehow you had enough in you to make yourself acceptable to God, that you could somehow will yourself to believe, to come up with some faith yourself, you would not be relying on His power and His grace. Even the slightest act of believing, the slightest act of possessing faith and expressing that faith, this is something that we would really want to give even a little bit of credit to ourselves for, you know? Thinking, oh, you know, I was able to reason all this out. I looked at all, all the evidence, all the evidence here, historical evidence concerning the person of Jesus Christ. I considered every other possibility of worldview, things that we could believe. And you know, believing in Jesus, that, that just, it's the most credible. It makes the most sense. It's the most logical of all beliefs concerning everything. And so, that's, that's why I believe. That's why I have faith. No. It's not like that even a little. It can't be like that. We have to count ourselves as dead. Not only dead as far as good works or, or considering our, our, our heart condition, our, our disposition toward God, we have to realize that we can't believe. On our own, we can't believe. It's impossible. It's God who makes us alive when we were too dead to believe that He would. God makes us alive when we were too dead to believe that He would. God makes His promises God makes us promises that are so unlikely, and then He fulfills 
those promises through ways that are considered weak and, and foolish. That's God's modus operandi. Strength through weakness. Using the foolishness of the world. For a lot of Christians, it takes drastic circumstances like that for us to finally realize, as we should, that we depend completely upon God for even the beginning of our faith. We confess that every single week, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. There might be some of you who who find yourselves in a situation sort of like this, lacking in the faith that you know that you need. Maybe there are some young people here who are at the age where we normally make profession of faith. You, you, you graduate from catechism class and pre-confession and now like your friends, you're expected to stand up here and profess your faith in Jesus Christ. And that can be really difficult if, if you don't have that sense of true faith in your heart you're not fully convinced that not only to others but also to me God has granted all of these things and so what are your choices either make profession of faith anyway to avoid a a tough conversation Or making that choice to to wait a little bit. Because you know that you can in good conscience say what you know to not be true at the moment. What's what's going on there? That's that's something that's a tough struggle. Why don't I have this? Why don't I think I believe like I see my friends clearly believing and, and living things out? Well, could it be that God is pleased to have you wrestle with this for a bit until you understand that you cannot get faith yourself? You can't get it yourself. You can't make it yourself. You can't make yourself have it. And so you have this, this experience, the reality of, of the fact of the matter, that we are spiritually dead, and you, and you have to come to grips with that. Yes, that's how I am without Christ. Spiritually dead. I, I can't get myself to believe this stuff. So that you realize, so that you realize that when you find yourself alive, when you find yourself believing it's obvious, it's clear, it's unmistakable. It was God. It's, it's God's grace at work in your heart. He's the one who breathed life into your corpse. God is the one who massaged your heart so that it would start beating. He's the one who shined his light into your mind so that 
finally you can understand, you can get it. He softened your heart so that you would accept what he said. And maybe for some of you I'm speaking in in future tense here. This is something that you're still working out. But you have to understand that this is how God works. This is his display of his greatness and our complete powerlessness. He brings life from death. He shows strength, his strength in our weakness. So that every single one of us, every single one of us has to confess, I am God's workmanship. It's God who works in me to do his will. That's the heart of the gospel. That's here in our Lord's Day for today. The center of the gospel is here. Question and answer 21, not only to others, but also to me, God has granted all of these benefits. Why? Out of mere grace. Out of mere grace. Only for the sake of Christ's merits. So in the following Lord's Days, there's this rich teaching about the merits of Christ, showing what He's accomplished for us, how the purposes of God were carried out in Him, but the gospel, the center point of the gospel, this wonderful news is here in those four little words, out of mere grace. You see, for for those who have experienced the doubts that we've been talking about, who are troubled by a lack of faith, who are wrestling over this, you know, you might look around and, and, and see the people around you, people that you go to church with, family members, and you think to yourself, these are exemplary Christians, and yeah, you know, I can, I can see how God would save them. I can see how God would, would want them to be His people. I can believe that God would give these benefits to others like, like the people around me, right? But why would He give them to me? You know, I know my heart. Paul talks about this too. I know that I am the worst of all sinners. Each one of us knows the truth about ourselves, right? We know about the disgusting stuff that's in our hearts, the disgusting things in our minds, the filth that's on our hands, the the sin that clings to our bodies. But remember this, remember this. There's nobody in this congregation, there's nobody on earth that is so righteous that they are beyond the need of God's grace. There's nobody so righteous that they're beyond the need of God's grace, and the inverse is also true. There's nobody here in this congregation that is so unrighteous that they are beyond the reach of God's grace. No one so righteous that they are beyond the need of God's grace. There's no one so unrighteous that they are beyond the reach of God's grace. God comes to all of us 
and finds each of us in exactly the same condition, spiritually dead. That's the starting point for for you. That's the starting point for the person sitting next to you. That's the starting point for all of us. Spiritually dead. It's more possible for a a 100-year-old couple to suddenly have a baby than that you would suddenly believe. You need God's grace. So what do you do? What's, what's step one? Well, we shouldn't be wiser than God. Use the means that He gives. He's taught us how He works faith, how He sparks faith in your hearts. Lord's Day 25, this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the preaching of the gospel. God takes care that the gospel is preached. He sends His word out and His spirit goes with His word and uses that preached word to breathe life so that you can believe. So that you can believe statements like this, not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. By believing, you are grafted into our mediator, Jesus Christ. You are united with him in a life-giving, life-saving way. You're grafted into Christ, and so you can receive this heavenly food and drink that sustains you to eternal life. And whoever believes in Christ, even though he dies, he will live. Amen.